This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the AEC Engineering and Technology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping engineering professionals find technology that fits their needs. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Surya, founder and CEO at Argonaut. Argonaut is a software development firm that specializes in cloud automation. Surya's expertise lies in revolutioning app deployments and cloud infrastructure, reducing mobilization time from months to minutes. In this episode, we'll talk about how their platform achieves this and the benefits it brings to AEC firms. He'll also provide some great tips for simplifying company infrastructure, managing cloud spending, overcoming challenges in transitioning to the cloud, and ensuring data security. With that, let's jump into today's episode. Suryaf, welcome to the show. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Could you start off by telling the audience a little bit more about yourself and what you do on a day-to-day basis? I'm Surya. I'm the founder of Argonaut. And Argonaut is an internal developer platform for software engineering teams to manage their cloud infrastructure and application deployments. We essentially provide higher levels of abstraction on top of the public clouds to enable automation and make it more efficient for engineers to work with the cloud. On a day-to-day basis, generally speaking, we are a fairly small team and I end up splitting my time between internal focused activities and external focused activities, primarily focused on engineering and product in the first half of the day. In the second half of the day, that sort of shifts to marketing and more of the outreach side of things. And uh, since we are a small, primarily engineering driven team, a lot of the administrative and catch-all sort of work also falls on me. That brings a lot of variability to my day. You're primarily working with software engineering teams to essentially make their deployments more efficient. Absolutely. It might sound fairly simple and straightforward, but there's actually a fairly complex set of dynamics that goes on when a code is being built and it needs to be made available at scale. We sort of try to bridge that gap. Generally speaking, A company has application development teams which sort of codify the business logic and the user experience for their end users. And uh, this is sort of the code that that they'd be checking into GitHub, etc. And then there are infrastructure teams which ensure that the code that is deployed is made available to the end users and it is made available in a scalable, secure and cost-efficient kind of manner. This entire pipeline is actually fairly complex and that's sort of where we come in we make this easier for our users. As we know, right, engineering, no matter the type, is going to be complex as it is enough, but doing engineering at scale or deploying engineering programs, et cetera, at scale always brings its challenges. So kind of getting into the details a little bit more about what you guys do, could you explain how your platform automates app deployments and cloud infrastructure and the benefits it it brings essentially to your clients? Let's actually just break down how it works on a day-to-day basis in organizations today. I mentioned that there are application development teams and then there are infrastructure teams. Now, 
the entire process of application deployments and making it available at scale involves a whole bunch of fairly cumbersome processes especially when there are you know multiple engineers collaborating and uh, there are a lot of moving pieces a lot of pieces of code that are to be deployed and some of the steps that are involved are like uh, provisioning cloud infrastructure and then picking a essentially a compute runtime so that your code runs on it and then to actually get your code to that runtime there are multiple steps involved again starting from like building the code generating the artifacts which are essentially think of it as you know the executables the actual programs that are run storing and scanning them for security and uh, just making sure that they're built and made available to the end users in a scalable manner once that is done it's it doesn't end there there are practices around observability where you essentially monitor your application for uh, errors for logs making sure that it is always up and available and in a performant manner as well all of these come into the picture along with cost visibility and so on traditionally these are all different steps of the entire deployment process where apart from just these there are workflows and there are actual people involved who tie all of these together with organizationally built processes traditionally this is all built in house in terms of the entire set of workflows and pipelines and as you can imagine this ends up getting fairly complex this uh, takes many months and years for teams to build in to a mature degree in inside of organizations and uh, what we do is essentially take a lot of these parameters take a lot of these workflows productize them and make them available as tools that they can just plug in instead of having to build and maintain in house that's really where the core efficiency that we bring to the t- uh, table comes in the way we go about it as well is essentially got to be ensuring that uh, everything is scalable everything is deployed according to best practices we also make it such that our users can bring their choice of tools and their opinions to the table and the product works with them seamlessly this is sort of how we bring the whole thing together and make it working across both of these different knowledge centers in the in an organization efficient whatever you know your client is working on right is technically complex in its own way for them there's a whole other piece of this right deployment getting everything into the cloud all the infrastructure etc so in addition to the complexities of their core business right there's the complexities of getting everything to their customers no matter the industry tech is moving very rapidly engineering businesses may struggle to keep up with some of the advancements what are some of your tips or best practices for just simplifying like a company's infrastructure and the tools that they use especially in the cloud world since as an industry this is fairly recent right it's less than a couple of decades old it's like barely 15 years old things are moving at a very rapid pace the pace of development and the standardization that has happened in the last few years is actually very significant and it is unlike the five years that came prior to that and so on so we are working in a space where everything gets outdated within like a few short years like 3 to 4 years that's like a fairly large lifespan as far as a lot of these processes and tools are in- involved especially with respect to best practices it's very important that we stay on top of these now a couple of things from an organizational perspective that we internally practice and you know in my experience have like these have worked really well is to essentially focus on what is core to the business in terms of delivering value to our users and just make sure that we focus we double down on on that piece everything else 
that's surrounding it, we typically buy it in some shape or form. Build stuff in-house that is extremely core to the value proposition of the business. And this comes from the fact that the uh, like we tend to overlook maintenance costs. We tend to overlook essentially what is called bit rot. Code that is just deployed today is going to keep running as is for a while. But at some point, there are so many dependencies that it actually starts breaking over time. If you want to make minor changes, it still becomes very hard uh, unless it is continuously maintained. And that's not even considering all the tools and the tool chains that uh, need to go into the entire development process. We tend to overlook maintenance costs very significantly. This overhead comes in many shapes and forms, right? People skilling is going to be a continuous thing, especially like the more kinds of development, the more kinds of things that we take on, the more it is going to be required. And then uh, the associated overhead in terms of organizations, in terms of management and communication, those scale not linearly, but actually super linearly. Communication is closer to an N-square problem than an N-problem. And that is complete anathema to a culture of shipping fast and maintaining a lean team. That's actually super important to keep in mind. And along similar lines, a second principle that I strongly advocate for is to pick suites of tools or essentially one tool that does a lot of things well, as opposed to like a ton of tools, each of which does one small part of the entire problem really well. Again, it comes from the fact that the, with one caveat, which is, is true for non-user facing stuff. For user facing stuff, always go for the best possible options. Uh, this might sound counterintuitive in terms of why am I not picking the best possible tool for each particular job and instead just picking a suite that works. Again, uh, it stems from the fact that the maintenance overheads, uh, the organizational challenges are going to actually be fairly severe and you don't want to be investing too much in, in those kind of areas, especially if it is not core to delivering user value. Famous external validation of this kind of principle is the fact that Microsoft wins in enterprise organizations because it's they offer like a whole bunch of very well-integrated tools, each of which is probably not the best possible option that you can get out there. But as a whole, they do the job really well and reduces the overall overhead for the organization. Everything is essentially done for the end user experience, right? Because you guys want to enable your clients to be able to ship products faster, have more well-organized product and, and a lot of software engineering firms, right? It's their code base and rest to the heart and soul of what they make, right? Absolutely. And focus on that, get rid of everything else. And how the simpler you can make the rest of your systems, the better it is going to be for you to actually ship value to your users faster. And that's essentially along the reason why we started Argonaut, because teams end up focusing a lot on the infrastructure side of things where they should not be. Uh, this is sort of janitorial work, right? It's essentially taking all the uh, good work in, that you know about your customers and their needs, made it into a product. Now we are just uh, helping you ship that, make it available to your users in a very simple manner. Think of us as essentially the delivery people who take care of all of the routine work where you are doing all the interesting work. And that's what we want to enable for our customers. In the spirit of right focusing on end user experience, could you just tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on the founder product fit and then how that integrates with right scaling a lean team 
and ultimately making a better end user experience, right? Because you can understand how a lot of ideas get from founder in a startup, some idea to either help a customer change something that's existing, whatever the case may be, right? But in the end, it's all about the end user, right? Yeah. And as cliched as it might sound, we essentially start from our end user needs and try to build support around that. We actually are fairly privileged as a part of Argonaut to in the fact that our users are other software engineers. And that means that we are building products for people who look and use the product and have the same needs as us. That's actually a very fairly strong advantage that we have. We use Argonaut on an everyday basis for like working on and shipping Argonaut. We dogfood our product heavily and so on. And this, you know, creates a very tight loop of product feedback that we can directly build in. It's always true that as a small team, as a small company that's just starting out, you don't have too much data to go by. You don't have millions of data points of how people use your product to take informed decisions. So a lot of it is going to be based on your understanding of the domain, your prior understanding of how things are solved and the user needs, and continuously talking to more users to actually ground yourself, ground your understanding. And that's again something that we uh, very heavily focus on because even though we are users of the product and so on, it's very easy to be carried away by the fact that and to just pass off our opinions as our user needs. We very heavily ground our understanding with talking to users on a regular basis, both existing users who are very well versed with the product and platform and uh, also new users who uh, might not have any context as to how things are done and just to get that fresh perspective in. All of these put together give us a fairly tight feedback loop and to implement that and put it into practice, we actually have a fairly nice process as well of ownership. Everyone in the team is hugely empowered and takes ownership of whatever they're working on and seeing it through all the way to the end. That includes talking to users, building out the corresponding functionality, delivering it to the users, and also uh, talking to them and validating whether it actually serves their needs, etc. or not. This is, again, fairly nicely possible because our builders and the users of the product are essentially kind of the same personality and the same persona. This enables us to build a fairly small but overpowered team which helps us deliver on value to our users. The title of this podcast is AEC Tech, right? Primarily focused around your architecture, engineering, construction. So in our discussion thus far, right, we've been talking more about like serious customers, which primarily going to be software engineers, right? But there is a link that I, I do want to make and talk to you more about, right? So everyone's moving to the cloud, right? No matter what industry it is. Let's talk specifically about AEC firms, right? So could you just talk us through some of the strategies you're using to make organizational decisions so that cloud spending for AEC companies in particular doesn't become overwhelming, right? Especially since for a lot of AEC companies, software engineering is not their core business. We have customers like this all the time where software engineering is a part of what they do, but it's essentially a means to an end. Most businesses at the end of the day are serving human needs and just ways to make computers do work for other humans. In terms of shifting from, let's say, an on-premises kind of an environment to the cloud, there are a 
few different ways in which uh, the overall organizational thinking in some sense has to change to uh, make this shift very effective. When it comes to the cost, I believe it was Peter Drucker who uh, famously said, what gets measured gets managed. And that's definitely the first and most important thing to be thinking of when you want to optimize a constraint such as cost. A challenge that comes in with respect to software engineering teams, especially uh, when it comes to software engineering teams deploying stuff to the cloud, there are sort of two centers, right? The application engineering center and the infrastructure center. The applications engineering center typically does not care too much in usual organizations about the costs and the infrastructure side of the problem. That can end up getting out of hand really quickly. So because of this sort of uh, difference in approach, visibility into what is happening for both teams, for everyone involved, all the stakeholders involved is extremely important. And ensure that there's some kind of a cost visibility product that is being employed by the organization from day one. A second related kind of problem is a lot of the resources, since it's so easy to just spin up infrastructure on the cloud, uh, so quick rather, it's very tempting and it leads to a lot of over-provisioning of resources, way more than what is actually required. This in combination with poor uh, visibility into utilization and if there's no one who's focusing on making sure that there is cost visibility that is being brought down, ends up being a problem. A third problem that is related is sort of inventory management. Again, the way products are laid out in the cloud is fairly granular. There are a lot of finer details that you can get into and that you can get lost within. Dangling resources, not keeping track of who is owning what, who is essentially managing what resource on the cloud. If that's not done properly and if the inventory management is not tracked, it ends up leading to a lot of wastage as well. These are common pitfalls rather that I've that I've seen that need to be tackled from day one. Again, from the perspective of Argonaut, since our users essentially do care about like every penny that is spent on the cloud, essentially, we are in the process of actually building out a cost-related visibility and optimization tool as well. There are a few out there that uh, you can start employing from day one if you're in the process of moving to the cloud. So make sure that inventory management is kept track of. There is someone in the organization who's uh, responsible for managing the overall the cost visibility and make sure that there is organizational alignment in some sense between the teams so that folks don't over-provision and then fix at a later point in time, which leads to a spend and then a later patchwork kind of a fix on the costs. At least some of those responsibilities are going to fall on a product manager, right? Like the person who's communicating between development leadership and some other form of management in the company, right? Because they want to know what's being spent, right? Like what features are important to users. So I guess my question circles around, right? Like again, end user experience, right? And let's talk about features. There's going to be some discussion on what features are important to our customers and provide value and what features are maybe kind of fringe beneficial bloat, add costs when it's not really needed. But as a product manager, right? In your experience, how are you prioritizing those features to essentially provide the most benefit to the end user? This sort of breaks down into a couple of things. The first is understanding the overall organizational and like the business context in which the whole cloud shift, et cetera, is being done. Even if it's not a shift, even if it is just a product that is being developed from scratch or whatever, right? What is the organizational context? What is the end objective of whatever product is being built out in terms of software? 
the first problem is always going to be clearly understanding that and making sure that that is again socialized with the rest of the organization that's a core part of how product management needs to operate once the objectives are fairly clear the second part of it is going to be what are the user needs and the third part of it is going to be what can we build to actually make sure that the company's objectives are met while satisfying the uh, user needs in the other order it's essentially a balancing act between these three parties that uh, always has to happen and in in typical organizations actually even in our case uh, there are multiple stakeholders involved uh, in terms of just the users uh, when it comes to it for instance we have essentially the infrastructure folks uh, within organizations who want a high level of flexibility and a high level of control over what happens with the product over how things are done and then there are application developers who just want things done they care more about the end result rather than how the sausage is made and then in some cases the the buyer is a different persona as well and so on right so it's important to differentiate and identify who are all the different personae that uh, end up using the product making sure that the needs there are clearly understood and specified out and then mapping that again back to the core objectives of what is being built now once that mapping is done thoroughly and that process itself requires a lot of iteration and user research so as that happens as that feedback loop completes uh, that is when we end up essentially getting a good definition of what the product needs to be and uh, it's easier to focus on the core value at that point a good caveat to keep in mind is how distribution works now you can have a great product but it sort of doesn't work if there is no adoption within the team so there are different frameworks that can be adopted from a product thinking perspective where you essentially focus on the entire funnel of delivering value starting from building out awareness amongst the user base getting it adopted making sure that there is usage and then there is also retention there are various frameworks that can be leveraged to think through adoption that delivery process as well um do my layman's right summary is like you're turning a software problem into a people problem because you have different stakeholders and it's just like any business you're trying to distill down the needs of people and then for your customers right make their software do what the people have asked absolutely and in that sense it's no different from any other business with the caveat with the primary differentiation being cycles are probably a little shorter and things are like on 24/7 as opposed to like a physical business which may or may not be so at the end of the day businesses are solving people problems for people and that's essentially what we are trying to do in the software world as well just like every other engineering problem we kind of uh, talked about this a little bit earlier right sounds simple at the surface but there's always got to be nuance and challenges to overcome no matter the industry but let's shift to not a different topic but kind of the next progression in my mind right which is data security because you talk about cloud deployment now instead of having whatever the end product is and let's say like a notebook or somebody's hard drive right you're deploying at scale and making it accessible to in theory an infinite amount of users right in theory so there comes problems with that right because instead of a select few having access to this right like those within a company now you're giving access to everyone so could you talk a little bit more about data security and privacy concerns 
this topic itself is fairly huge and also hairy we know that data breaches etc keep happening all the time now and it's not even news anymore pace at which uh, breaches are happening exploits are happening is only increasing with time this also comes from the fact that there are just a lot more things being deployed there are a lo- lot more softwares just being out there which just means a, a larger attack surface now uh, the concept of attack surfaces is probably the most important thing to talk about when it comes to security privacy is a slightly different thing and i'll touch upon that in a little bit but uh, when it comes to security the name of the game is essentially how can we minimize the attack surface if there are 20 different ways in which someone can let's say access a building now that means you need to post 20 different guards and all the associated ch- challenges that come with it now if we can just restrict it to let's say one door then it's much easier to track it's much easier to handle and that's really the same principle but the details are essentially what are going to be slightly different when it comes to software obviously the first principle which again the principle is probably common which is principle of least privilege right each person essentially needs to have access to the floors in the building that they need to access and not really every floor in the empty building because essentially we are talking about like everyone in the street being able to access the building when we are deploying it at scale that's essentially what it means we are just keeping the doors open if we let a lot of people in some of them have all sorts of different intentions different objectives and uh, that means the visitors can probably access only the ground floor and we need to keep it at that and someone who's actually working in the building can, might need to have access to a few other floors and so on right so least access it's important and as a software engineering team it's very easy or very tempting to uh, rely on processes to handle this kind of access controls whereas that actually rarely contributes to uh, the security posture a lot and it in fact it ends up hindering the pace at which development happens and most of the internal folks end up getting pissed so uh, it's important to have the right kind of automated policies which check and validate what is being done this needs to be in the form of tools and guardrails which are automated rather than process that a person has to go through it's the difference between getting frisked versus just showing an id card and walking in that's really extremely important to take care of and then there are all sorts of defense mechanisms etc that need to be put in place as well that will be in the form of like vpns for access controls uh, to the services that are happening uh, that are deployed within the organization and then firewalls to ensure that crowds don't just pile up against open doors and so on which essentially leads to a denial of service kind of an attack summarizing it reduce the attack surface use principle of least privilege set there are basic uh, best practices that can be set in security scanning vpns firewalls and access control policies and this combination is typically good enough for most organizations that actually gives a fairly healthy uh, security posture and uh, privacy on the other hand is a fairly different topic which essentially relates to how much data the company collects about its users and how it's made accessible to potentially third parties that's a fairly different problem altogether to handle and there are two broad ways in which you can think about it one is just following the regulation and the letter of the law which typically is a little behind the times in terms of understanding and addressing these problems there is the sort of least amount of information that 
companies should be collecting about their users for their business purposes and having a healthy middle ground between the two for the company's purpose. That's a fairly different and nuanced topic that we can also get into. On the topic of privacy, because that's really become a hot topic. There's all sorts of regulations, I think, maybe more stringent in, let's say, Europe than in the United States. Is there anything else you wanted to elaborate on the privacy side? The high level is that privacy in terms of regulation is adds to cost. That's probably the one thing that uh, organizations that are trying to build around it need to understand. It adds to cost in two different ways. One, if you do it right, and two, if you don't do it right. And it adds cost in both cases. If you need to do privacy properly, then that leads to keeping user data separate, user data isolated from each other and, and so on. And that introduces complexity in both the software side of things and also in the data and data residency side of things, especially when there are certain regulatory compliances to deal with. So that adds to cost in terms of just complying with what the privacy requirements are. And then not complying with privacy uh, requirements and you know being a little cavalier with it uh, leads to a different kind of cost in terms of how people perceive the brand and how people interact with the business. That's a little more intangible, so it's easy to put it off for later, but it's not trivial, especially when software is being built at a, at a global scale. There is some location or the other which is going to be more strict on the privacy rules and typically Europe, and that means there is going to be a lot of fines, etc., that you're just kicking down the road instead of tackling head-on. So uh, both need to be kept in mind as we're building products and trying to address privacy needs. So if you're dealing with right, an AEC firm who's considering a transition to the cloud from whatever they're currently using, what final piece of advice would you give them for essentially a successful transition? Touching back upon some of the things that I mentioned earlier, right? One, I would say pick boring technology. There's no need to be very fancy about it. Pick boring stuff that works instead of innovating on like the tools, etc. that is completely orthogonal to the business that you're running. Pick a few tools that do a lot of heavy lifting that simplifies a lot of things for you as an organization and always account for costs. Costs both in terms of the actual dollar that is being spent that can be seen in dashboards and also the overheads in terms of maintenance and uh, process, which might be very significant and hard to account for before starting the project. Pick boring stuff, boring tools, pick a few of them that do most of what you want to be doing and uh, account for maintenance and overheads and try to minimize for that. That is probably going to get you a long way. And I think everyone can get behind, right? Essentially running an efficient operation and keeping track of, of your dollars and your dollars out. And you're, I think you've done a great job of just simplifying the concept behind what you guys do and stating it in a manner that even technically lay people, especially in the software world, can understand. So if our listeners have additional questions, want to connect with you, or just kind of want more information on what you do, how can they reach you? What's the best way? The best way to find out more about what we do is to visit the website argonaut.dev that's A-R-G-O-N-A-U-T dot D-E-V and I'm reachable on Twitter and LinkedIn uh, and my handle is 
my first name followed by my last name. That's Surya Uruganti. And for those of you listening, right, um, if you didn't get a chance to write that down, it'll definitely be in the show notes, which we'll um, give some more info on here shortly. But again, Surya, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Nick. It was great talking to you as well. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at aectechpodcast.com. There, you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering and technology endeavors.